Today I talk with Cassandra Campbell, who leads experimentation and analysis at Shopify. And we're talking about the things they experiment on and how they're structuring their workflows. My name is Guido Jansen and welcome to Shiro Cafe, the award-winning podcast where I show you the behind the scenes of large and small optimization and growth teams and talk with their specialists about data and human-driven optimization. My goal with the Shiro Cafe is to make websites and the lives of optimization specialists a lot better. And we're doing this by spreading a mindset of experimentation and validation. You are a vital part in reaching this goal and one important way for you to help out is by sharing relevant episodes with your colleagues. And if you yourself are not subscribed yet, make sure you are by checking this in your podcast app. It really means a lot and your actions do make a difference. So thank you for doing this. In case you missed the previous episode, last week I spoke with Pep Laia from CXL fame and we spoke about all kinds of topics, two of which being copy testing and how you can differentiate yourself as an agency. You can listen to that episode on www.ciro.cafe or in the podcast app you're listening with right now. This episode of Ciro Cafe is made possible by our partners Online Dialogue, Sidespect, Online Influence Institute, Content Square and Convert.com. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 47. My first question for you would be, uh, how on earth does someone move <laughs> from my background in music, uh, majoring in music, to becoming a senior experimentation and analysis lead at a SaaS e-commerce company? That, that to me seems like quite a leap. <laughs> yeah, it does. Uh, and actually, the fun thing about Shopify is if you talk to most people there, they've got these very kind of interesting unexpected backgrounds. Um, but for me, I, I love music. I still do. So I decided to study it in school, but I also loved business and economics. And so uh, I took a lot of those courses as well. So uh, they were actually bo both interests uh, the entire time. And when I finished school, um, I, I just started really going more in that, that direction of business and entrepreneurship. So I started helping a lot of my musician friends and, and artists and things like that with branding and marketing and websites. And then I started helping uh, people with other kinds of businesses and um, started getting into internet marketing and, and building and monetizing websites. And um, over time, built kind of a, a growth consultancy where I helped other businesses grow and um, and really take all of the leverage that they have and optimize and make data-driven decisions. And uh, eventually that led me to Shopify, um, where yeah. I've done a, a couple of things, but for the past few years have been really focused on this, this data-driven side. Yeah, I actually, I really love this about our, our industry. I mean, uh, with, with Ciro, I mean, everyone that's been in the business for well, five years or longer, no one studied zero because that's not a thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't a thing. Um, so everyone's su such a diverse background. I think that actually is, is really uh, uh, benefiting our, our industry, right? Because we are trying to find out what works best for users. And if, if everyone is basically the same, then it does <laughs> already uh, um, um, yeah. one step ahead. But because we are already such a diverse group. Um, and But in your background, you, all, you also had a, a brewing company, right? I did. Yes. Um, I, while I was, was working for myself, a friend, uh, 
I think we were looking to collaborate on something on a web project and, and he mm -hmm. ended up saying, Hey, why don't we start a brewing company? And I honestly <laughs> didn't really think I wanted to do that. It sounded like a lot of work, but I also kind of had like FOMO. So I said, yes. <laughs> so you, you, so you wanted to work on an internet project and you started a brewing company. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I need some and, explanation uh, for that. <laughs> it is a lot more work. Offline businesses are way more work than online businesses, yeah. but um, I'm really glad I did it. They are rewarding in such a different way. The first, you know, the first bar that had our beer, I would slowly drive by the patio and look to see if people were drinking it. And, and you'd go in and sit at the bar and order the beer and, and sort of someone around you is drinking the same beer. And you're like, hey, what do you think about that? And uh, so it's, it's very tangible. And of course, it had its own set of challenges. Um, you know, moving products around, third-party logistics, warehousing, inventory uh, is is all stuff that I hadn't really had to deal with before, and and uh, learned a lot, which is, I think, also just really helped me understand our, our merchants' business. But business is better at Shopify now. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it was it was fun. We yeah. sold it. Um, we all all moved on, but it was great. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and now already uh, five years at uh, at Shopify. Um, e-commerce is moving very fast, uh, still. Uh, so what would you say currently, uh, for people that don't know Shopify, what's currently, uh, the TLDR from, from, from Shopify? What, what's the, like, what's the, what's the main, what was an average client, the optimal client for Shopify look like? Yeah, so we are, um, you know, an all-in-one commerce platform. Uh, we've got, uh, you know, I think most people think of the online store, the storefront where people come and, and buy your products and uh, check out. But we, you know, we have all of the back-end management there as well. So you can manage your inventory. You can connect to different sales channels if you want to sell on Instagram or um, send your products to Amazon and sell through the Amazon marketplace. We've got um, kind of that whole end-to-end um, platform to really help you manage your business. And then for whatever's missing, we've got an app ecosystem to help fill in some of those gaps. Um, and one of the things that we really pride ourselves on is uh, is the ability to scale. So we, we have a lot of people who come and start their first businesses on Shopify and, and really take their first crack at entrepreneurship. But uh, we're really proud of the fact that they can continue to scale their businesses on Shopify. And we've got, you know, very, very big uh, enterprise companies that use our platform as well. So it's fun for me as a, a former entrepreneur, we are really just, we'd like to think of ourselves as an entrepreneurship company and I get to kind of help other people uh, discover entrepreneurship yeah. as well. So are, are, usually, uh, are these usually companies that already exist and then move online or uh, companies that already have a, a small shop online and then move to Shopify or is mainly new? New e-commerce uh, entrepreneurs? It's all or? three. Yeah. Okay. So we see, you know, especially during COVID, a lot of offline businesses moving online for the first yep. time. Um, mm -hmm. You know, people, of course, can can change platforms or outgrow their platform. Um, and and then, yeah, people who are just totally getting started for the first time and, and figuring out how this works. Um, sometimes it could be someone who just, you know, wanted to start a business and had an idea and they're figuring it out. Sometimes you see people who yep. already have an established audience. So I don't know if you sell swag, but if you wanted to start creating some, you know, t-shirts with funny CRO, uh, you know, comics or something like that, you, you know, you might want to leverage your existing audience to then start this other kind of revenue stream and, and yep. monetize that way. Exactly. And, but for you as an uh, experimentation, uh, for, for the whole experimentation team, 
it must be you have so much things you can you can work on you could you can work on your own um, um, well lead generation people signing up to use mm -hmm. Shopify then you can optimize uh, the short the store owners actually using the product and then you have thousands of shops out there selling stuff that you can also optimize for so what are you guys are what are you working on <laughs> it's so much <laughs> you can do so we we primarily focus internally on helping um all of our colleagues at shopify experiment um you know make data-driven decisions be more effective uh so particularly we work most with the growth team um and you know that can be on our uh our different channels obviously uh you know the the bread and butter of, of CRO landing page optimization and things like that. Um, but we'll, you know, we'll, we'll really just approach it with, uh, if you have a question that you want to answer, or, or maybe sometimes we're proposing the question, we'll really try and find the best way to answer that question and, and design a study that's going to do so effectively. And a lot of times that's an AB test, but you know, sometimes it might be, um, a different methodology. Um, we, we've run a couple of brand campaigns for the first time in the past couple of years. And, and so those, we were really careful to, you know, do some, some kind of experimental design so we could really measure the incremental effect of those campaigns. And that was fun because that's across many channels and there's so many variables and it's hard to measure. So it's a really interesting yeah. challenge, but, um, we focus internally on, on the business of Shopify, but we, we like to look across lots of problems and opportunities. Yeah. So you work a lot with the growth team and their responsibility is mainly uh, providing new new leads, new shop owners, people signing up for the product? Yeah, yeah. Helping, you know, helping more people learn about Shopify, helping the right people get connected with the right products, whether that's signing up to, to start their own shop or, you know, maybe it's um, maybe they're not ready yet. It's just uh, getting access to an education platform like Compass, where we've got a lot of video courses and things like that. Um, uh, you know, maybe it's uh, figuring out how to use the product more effectively and make sure that they're learning about the right features. Um, so really kind of across the spectrum. Yeah, exactly. And, and what kind of metrics uh, are you then optimizing for? Because, uh, well, I, I had a couple of uh, guests lately that work in uh, in the SaaS industry, um, as you guys are, and, and that first, of course, it's, it's important to get a new customer, but that first month that doesn't really <laughs> move the needle much it's about them staying for a couple of years ideally so what are you guys optimizing for how, how is that is, is retention built in there or how does that work yeah we've it'll really depend on the team we're working with so we've got you know different teams um who work on on different areas and are focused on optimizing towards different metrics and us as a group will really just embrace the metrics of of the team that we're supporting and and sort of come in and help them figure out the best way to do that are there specific uh, zero projects or improvements that you uh, that you can share with us that you've been working on lately uh I, unfortunately, I can't talk a lot about uh, the experiments themselves, but um, what I can say is really a, a priority for us is really maximizing learning. So, uh, you know, of course, you can have lots of people just kind of running experiments. Hey, I've got an idea. Let's try it. Let's run it. Um, but we really want to take a holistic view and see where are the gaps? What are the um, parts of our business that we don't understand very well? What are the levers that we want to kind of really pull on and see if we can improve them. And 
also to look across sort of multiple experiments and figure out which learnings can be generalized. So if a specific pattern's been tested, uh, you know, in multiple regions, maybe multiple audiences, things like that, are we starting to see consistent results and can we analyze across those experiments uh, and then generalize? And then those kind of become our internal best practices they don't need to be tested as much in the future. Teams can then move on to testing new things. And, and we can sort of keep raising the bar for where, where teams are starting out and, um, and driving, that, driving things faster. Gotcha. And, and you, now you've been doing this for five years. Um, and you're working on getting other teams to, um, to work with you and, and uh, enabling them to run experiments. Um, how are you doing this? How, that's that's what a lot of people are struggling with. How, how do you get the rest of the company uh, to to basically uh, adopt this culture of experimentation and validation? Yeah. So, I, small correction: I've been doing this for two years, <laughs> uh, although I've been at the company for five years. Uh, so, you know, I think we're still figuring a lot of things out, but. We are really, really focused on enablement. We know that we're never going to be able to. Uh, you know, do everything ourselves that we want to do and be involved in everything. So it's really important to us to try and remove ourselves uh, as a bottleneck in as many situations as possible. And so that means sometimes going yeah. through and, and there's tough uh, experiments that haven't been run before, figuring out how to do that's kind of tough. And we find the pitfalls and we find the problems and we, we figure it out and make it easier. And then we can kind of rule that um I don't even want to say process, but like a streamlined workflow out for anyone else to tap into or um, developing frameworks that that help people have kind of most of the, the expertise already that they need. And so they can get a lot further uh, on their own. You create a lot of templates. So, you know, anyone can do experiment pre-analysis pretty easily now to, to make sure it's feasible, figure out um, what kind of sample size they need, things like that, uh, and have, have good results. Um, we're really trying to just create that foundation uh, for anyone to plug into. And then we'll keep kind of investing what's the next part of that foundation. Where are we seeing the gaps? Where do we yeah. need to invest further? Um, you know, how can we add a bit more rigor to make sure things are trustworthy uh, and kind of keep leveling up the whole org? But in order to do that, you know, we can't be hands-on in everything. So a lot of it is about enablement. SiteSpect offers a worldwide unique A-B testing, personalization and product recommendation solution. SiteSpect works server-side without any tags or scripts, which guarantees an optimal performance. The SiteSpect solution eliminates delays and the chance of any flickering effects and this approach also ensures that the current and future browser security rules like ITP and ETP don't make an impact on your A-B testing and personalizations. For more info, visit SiteSpect.com. What are the biggest struggles that you see with others that are outside of the, uh, that, are not, that are not used to running experiments? What are the biggest issues they have uh, with doing this? What are the, the, the questions they may have or the concepts they don't necessarily grasp right away? Yeah, um, that's a great question. There's, I think, a few things that I see kind of industry-wide. Um, I think, so I think first is, is helping people understand when an experiment is a good idea versus when there's another way of answering that question. Um, and mm -hmm. one of the things we've created is a decision tree to understand 
kind of, you know, this will help you 80% of the time quickly rule out when you shouldn't run an experiment based on, you know, is, is your change below the fold and you have less than a hundred conversions? Like don't run an experiment. Don't spend all of, all of your time prepping this. Like let's find another way for you to, to get some information and feel good about just making a change. Uh, so helping people know when those are feasible and know what their other options yep. are, you know, maybe they're, they're just going to use some historical data to make a decision. Um, I think the second thing is it's, it's kind of the, the data literacy piece, like it's really, um, I think a lot of things when you're, you've been in experimentation for a while feel really basic, but actually not intuitive for people who are outside of this industry. Uh, and one of those I think is really understanding the user intent and the ways in which we can bias our data, yeah. uh, based on how we look at it. So I think one common thing you see is, uh, someone wanting to run and let's say you were, running an experiment on a website and uh, you wanted to get more people um, signing up for your free trial. So you, uh, you know, you run some kind of intervention and you've got a bunch of people signing up. And then instead of looking at, you know, increased signups or even looking at from people who came to the website, signed up and eventually became a paying customer, people might only look at how many of those signups became paying customers. And that's actually very biased data because there's selective enrollment there. You're only looking at the segment that took the next step. You're not looking at the entire segment. So it's not really random anymore. I think there's a lot of pitfalls and gotchas like that, that are, are hard to understand intuitively. And so um, always trying to figure out how to, how to teach people that kind of thinking and, and understanding the way that the user intent is, is being manipulated by the, the segment. Um, and then I think the third thing is yeah. is really making sure that um, everyone is aware of uh, how we make sure that that experiments are valid and uh, how to sort of analyze the data in a way to check for validity to make sure that there's no bias. Uh, I think sometimes people think that statistical, like if something is statistically significant, then it's like it's good, it's trustworthy, and. What statistical significance tells you is that two numbers are different enough to not be random. It doesn't tell you if those two numbers are an accurate comparison. That comes down to the experimental design and the implementation and making sure there's no sample ratio mismatch and um, all of those things. And, and I think that's also just kind of a really advanced topic if you're not directly in this industry. And so finding the right ways of get of educating people, you know, with just in time learning when they need it and not overwhelming yeah. people when they don't. Yeah. It's statistically significant, but it's not necessarily useful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, so this is also something that you already uh, are able to address. Like, I mean, it, it sounds like something what, uh, that a lot of people at Shopify are involved with. Um, but this is something that you already address during uh, onboarding, for example, to, to get that mindset going? Um, no, not immediately. I think there's there's... A lot to onboard to at Shopify, and um, it's not necessarily, I think, the right information in your first week. We really want people to learn about the product and our audiences and our business model and actually start um, opening a store and, uh, you know, getting to know the merchant journey. So I think it tends to come later, you know, as uh, and not everyone will get deeply involved in, in experimentation. I think a lot of people might um 
you know, might just be proposing ideas or maybe making designs. Uh, but for people who really want to champion an experiment, then we start to kind of onboard them to this um, uh, more in that, that just in time way as they as they start to get involved. You have, you have a lot of people uh, involved with uh, with those experiments, uh, a lot of people doing doing different things, and of course there are guidelines uh, for people to follow to make sure those those are, are those are very useful uh, or useful enough uh, experimentations to to um, to have those resources uh, um, assigned to that. Um, but how, so how do you, for example? Um, uh, capture the knowledge that's that's uh, is is um, generated by those experiments. How do you uh, capture those learnings and make sure those are spread in the company that uh, people aren't continuously doing the same experiments, for example? Yeah, that's that's I think a great part of part of it. Um, we I, the, first of all we have you know an experiment database, so we're capturing all of the experiments that have been run, and we're capturing them with some basic um, sorting and searching details. So what was the test location? Like, was this on the website, on a specific page? Was this, um, you know, on a paid media channel, things like that? Uh, which regions were impacted? Um, sometimes uh, the intervention type, um, especially if we're starting to want to study specific patterns. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, the experiment brief is is always captured there as well. And, and that's basically a doc that has the results, um, the kind of a concise write-up of, of what happened. But then immediately following that, we've got all of the experiment details. So you can never look at experiment results without seeing them in the context of the experimental design. And that's the place where you can dig in a bit further. So if you, you know, open something up and you want to understand what happened, you can go in and read more about the implementation uh, or look at the variants if, if it's, you know, something where there's going to be screenshots or designs. Uh, and finally, you can actually click the links out to look at I actually want to open up the you know notebook that has just statistical analysis and really dig in, or I want to open up the pull request because something seems weird here. I want to like see how they did this. So it's kind of um, a, a system of layers where you can access the highest level kind of quite easily through searching, and then you can dig in a bit further, and then you can follow those links out to dig in even further. And it's really important to us that this archive kind of exists and, and is available and accessible because we don't want to sort of learn things and then have it dissolve into tribal knowledge where in a year someone says, oh yeah, I think we tested that. Like, I think this was the result and no one's really sure exactly what happened or what, yeah. what it applied to. Uh, and then yeah. I think that's, that's the part of just having it available and maintained. Uh, and then what happens is we sometimes do kind of archive analysis and, and look across different things. Um, but the other piece of that is we really act like content marketers. <laughs> so uh, I've done a lot of content marketing in my day and we think a lot about um, our audience, which is, um, you know, employees at Shopify and getting the right content out for that, out to them and in the right place, the right time. So we're thinking about our distribution channels, which are, you know, different Slack channels, uh, a newsletter that we might send out, a newsletter that another team might send out, different forums for making presentations, um, sh you know, showing things to different teams. So we really kind of try and leverage, um, as many distribution channels as we can to get to get information out in 
it to the right people um, as as it becomes available. And then we'll have sort of things coming in like, hey, have we ever studied this? Or does anyone know about that? And then when those come in, we'll go and kind of search it and pull it up and say, yeah, this is what happened. Um, here's what it looked like and so on. Yeah. And this is also uh, is like yeah, like user research. Is that uh, is that part of your team, or is that another team is that's generating insights? No, user research is uh, another team that sits sits alongside us. So we're part of this same foundational mm-hmm. group, um, and yeah. uh, so we work really closely with them. We you know leverage a lot of their research to to develop experiments, and and sometimes we kind of collaborate on on projects. Um, but some of it we might do our you know more basic conversion research, we might, um, you know, do some heat mapping or do some funnel analysis, things like that. Uh, but then when we're, you know, looking for uh, more rigorous market research and, and uh, really de- well-developed, um, you know, quantitative surveys and things like that, then we, we lean on that team. Yeah. So and, and so as as a as a central experimentation team, mainly enabling others. Um, what are the goals for your for your teams itself? Is it like um, um, we need to enable others to uh, have X to to create X experiments a year or something? Or how do you measure the success of of that experimentation team? Yeah. So the way that I I think about it is, uh, you know, if we could measure this easily, what we would want to measure is the percentage or the or I guess the quality and quantity of business decisions influenced. So are we, um, are, you (laughs) know, are we providing, um, whether it's, you know, experiment, uh, insights, you know, something else, maybe we're doing a scenario analysis. Like we do, we help with lots of kind of, um, uh, learning and and data analysis. So, you know, is it, actually informing decisions like are are people making better business decisions as a result of this and then are we focused on the right things so uh you know the high leverage activities are we making sure that we were prioritizing those and and really um driving good good innovation there that's not it's probably not worth actually measuring in practice so that's kind of conceptually what we optimized before but i think we'd probably spend all of our time trying to measure that accurately, but that that's kind of like our guiding principle. And, and when we go into deciding what we can work on and what we can't, it's a bit of a process of, you know, how closely does this impact the bottom line? What's the scope of the opportunity? And then I think this is the most important thing that people sometimes miss. Will our involvement lead to incremental impact? And if it's going to go off without a hitch, without our involvement, we don't really need to to, to get involved, right? We can focus on something else. But if we can see that us yeah. getting involved in an initiative will increase its impact, then that makes sense. It's worthwhile. Yeah. So what, what are the kind of projects you're looking uh, to for, say, like next 12 months to, to improve that? Um, I, I feel like uh, this is probably just the, the product of high growth, but we just like need to keep investing in enablement. Um, uh, we've got a lot of really good uh, work done already, but I can still see so much more that that I want us to be able to do and, and really just continuously raise that bar for um, the quality of, of learning and insights. And then also... Um, raise the bar for what everyone else can do without us and how much they can can sort of accomplish on their own and then we 
can kind of keep moving on to that next thing. So um, a lot more investment in education. We work really closely with um, the data engineering team that is building our platform and, and they're continuously adding new features that, that help us kind of remove ourselves. Um, so, you know, things that we might previously have needed to do manually, now the platform does it so we can sort of not have to worry about that. That's great. Move on to something else. So yeah. really, really driving that enablement roadmap um, is is the priority, I think. Nice. Is there also something built into the platform itself uh, for for shop owners to, to run experiments, for example? There's uh, there's a bunch of apps. So if you used Optimizely, for example, you could use uh, you could use the Optimizely app with your shop. Um, or uh, actually, can't remember off the top of my head what all of them are. But yeah, we use our app ecosystem to basically let you plug in uh, the tools that you want to use pretty yeah. easily. And um, uh, I mean, people could do a more manual imp implementation as well, but. A lot of times merchants want to use apps because it's easier. You don't need to open up the code. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Yeah. Well, that, that's, of course, why you have a SaaS platform, right? Yeah. You don't necessarily want to go uh, into the code. That's yeah. why those shop owners uh, choose you guys, of course. Yeah. It's really hard to, to develop uh, one system that's, um, uh, that caters to so many different businesses, right? Um, and and uh, if you change one thing that can impact uh, maybe 60% positively, but can also have a negative impact on a lot of other businesses. So I can imagine that's hard to, to change uh, big things there. Yeah. And I mean, each of our merchants have different audiences uh, as well. So we really want to make sure that they're able to really customize that, that online journey for, for their audience and their goals. Yeah, exactly. Is there, is there something um, you think some kind of knowledge you have acquired <laughs> being in zero uh, that you think you, you might have that others in zero might have not or are not utilizing enough yet? Um, that's always such a hard question because I always just assume everyone knows everything I know. Yeah. Um, I think the things, I, I don't know about this, you know, the CRO industry is, is, uh, pretty savvy. So it might be more people outside of the industry, but I think the things that I, I really see often are, um, first, we kind of touched on this earlier, you know, just because something is statistically significant, um, doesn't mean that it's, it's correct. But I think similarly, just because something is not statistically significant doesn't mean that there's no effect. So a lot of times people, um, I think sometimes some programs want to optimize towards not having inconclusive experiment results. And they see, you know, they say a win or a loss, both are good, we learned something, but if it's inconclusive, we didn't learn something. And I don't think that's true. If it's inconclusive, you know that the effect was not bigger than a certain size. Whatever your experiment is powered to detect, you know that the effect lies outside of that range. Um, but A, that's that's a useful learning <laughs> that in and of itself tells you something. Um, but B, I think sometimes it's not worth it to have, uh, you know, perfect measurement. We, you know, perhaps you could have a bigger sample size and uh, be able to say with absolute certainty that something was, you know, 1% better or 1% worse. Um, but that may not be um, material to your business. And if you're going to spend, yeah. you know, weeks or months trying to measure something like that perfectly, there's a huge opportunity cost to what, 
what you could have been doing instead with that time. And so I think we should all embrace inconclusive experiments. They, they mean we're not, they mean we learned the effects not large and we're not wasting our time on, on things that don't matter. Um, and then I think the other thing that, you know, that this comes down to really understanding user intent and the way that, um, you know, the way that experiment results degrade, I, th I think it's really beneficial to start to measure downstream. So a lot of times people assume if you lift a metric, like let's say people signing up for a free trial, say you lift it 10%, everything's going to be 10% after that. So you see people estimating all the way down to like revenue, it's going to be 10% more if we roll this out. And that's almost never true. Um, what's actually happening when you run an experiment is you're you're impacting the lowest intent user. So the people who took that step now because of the thing you tested, they're much yeah. lower intent than the people who would have done it anyway. So they are less likely to take the next step and less likely to take the next step after that. And, and that's okay. Um, but it's important to know that. And I think measure downstream so that you get a much more accurate understanding of how impactful the intervention was. And if you're in a position where you're trying to forecast, you're going to be able to forecast much more effectively yeah, yeah, exactly. as well. Yeah. yeah, I think my, my best experience with that is uh, actually uh, doing zero for a lead company, um, a recruitment company. Um, and you, you don't necessarily want more people uh, applying for a job because it means more work for your rec recruiters. Right. Yeah, you actually want less people but that, are, that are more qualified. Right. So you don't... Right. So you don't yeah. necessarily want to have more people going to the next step, and and similar with with online, yeah, uh, it's it sounds nice to have more people put something in in the in the shopping basket, but maybe uh, that was just so they can see the I don't know the shipping cost because you don't show any shipping cost be before that stage, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Is, is that a good thing? Yeah. Maybe not. <laughs> Right. I mean, I think a lot of times it is a good thing because it helps you. Some of those people are, are going to make it to the next step. And yep. if not, maybe there's something else you're going to do at that at that next step that's going to help sort of keep nudging them along. But yeah, a lot of let's say you improved the copy on on uh, a jobs posting website and you start getting a lot more applicants. The people who only applied because of the, the clarified copy you know, but they weren't going to apply yesterday before you made that change. They're they're probably less likely to be the people you hired. Some of them might be, but there there's yeah. definitely a, a smaller chance. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and, and uh, the first point, uh, yeah, very true. I mean, uh, there's a lot of. Uh, you need to. It's, it's zero. Still, uh, a lot of people have a more statistical uh, background, maybe, maybe, or more web analytic background, and want to measure everything precisely. But, but it's still a business we're trying to run, right? So if it's inconclusive, exactly. fine, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, uh, as, as, yeah. If your business, uh, <laughs> if, if your sample size is set up in a way that it measures uh, an effect size that an effect size that is um, uh, useful to your business, if it's smaller than that, apparently it's not useful for your business. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's something good that we uh, all need to consider, and maybe um, maybe be less less perfect uh, from a, from a maybe a, a, a more pure scientific approach, but uh, be more be more um, accommodating to the business that you're actually trying to improve, and that and that clears yeah. up clears up uh, space for more experiments also. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yesterday's brainstorm was so good. I really liked Steph's idea of running that test on the call to action buttons. Making them orange will really make them stand out, don't you think?
Yeah, right. Do you want to design real A-B test winners and achieve enormous conversion uplift? Then stop brainstorming and take a scientific approach. If you can read Dutch, follow the steps in Online Influent, the bestseller on managementbook.nl. Or enroll in the author's course and become an expert in applying proven behavioral science yourself. Go to onlineinfluence.com for more information and free downloads. Who should I ask for another podcast episode? Yeah, this is a fun question. So um, I've actually gotten to chat with Ben LeBay about a lot recently from CXL. Uh, mm-hmm. He's the director of research there. And um, I, I haven't actually got to hear from him a lot. I've been with him on some panels and, um, and emailed and things like that. But I would love to hear more about um, how he approaches conversion research and hypothesis generation and things like that. I think that'd be really cool. I'll, I'll make sure to ask him. I, I reached out to him uh, <laughs> to see if he's up to it. So I'll have to. Uh, I'll still have to uh, hear back from him, but uh, <laughs> I'll definitely cool. ask uh, ask him uh, about that. Um, a deep dive into research for zero. And yeah, um, that'd be great. Uh, that would be great. Yeah, I think uh, I think they, they probably have a couple of courses on that uh, at CXL. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> well, you can promote them. <laughs> yeah, so let's let's see if you can uh, provide us with a nice summary for a podcast length. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, that would be nice. Okay, cool. Uh, and fi- my final question for you, uh, any any Ciro-related books or uh, blogs that you want to re- recommend to our uh, listeners? Uh, yeah, I mean, for blogs, CXL is, is great, of course. Um, uh, but books, um, this year, Trustworthy Online Controlled Experiments came out. Yep. I've got it right here, actually. Uh, yep. <laughs> and I, I think this is just like such a gift to to everyone who's who's getting going in this industry. Um, uh, you know, the authors have published, I think, a bulk of the research over the past many, many years on online controlled experiments. And a lot of the best practices and, and things that we know have come from a lot of their research. And it's all compiled very nicely into a book. It's very accessible. You don't necessarily need to be the data scientist or the statistician or, you know, be the one doing the math to, I think, read it and um build that intuitive understanding of, of how to make sure that your, your experiments are reliable and, um, you know, you're, you're maximizing your opportunity and things like that. So, uh, you know, I think I wish this existed years ago. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Definitely recommend everyone reads it. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, one of the three, I think, yeah, three authors, uh, Ronnie Kohavi, he worked for Microsoft and he's now working for Airbnb, I think. Uh, so there's a lot of experience in there uh, on on running experiments. Yeah. I mean, they're not uh, they're not holding back at uh, Microsoft and Airbnb on uh, doing experiments. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's so such a gift. I, I haven't read it yet. Are, are there like a lot of practical examples in there, or is it mainly theory, or how does, uh, how does the book work? Yeah, there's a lot of practical examples. Um, it's really broken down like quite nicely to be accessible. So even if you you know, at one, I think there's a chapter on um, some observational studies and some different options there, like, um, uh, you know, a difference in difference analysis where maybe you couldn't do a real experiment, but you're going to simulate and look at um, the rate of change between two groups. So things like okay. that, you're not going to learn how to do that analysis after reading this book. It doesn't go that technical, yeah. but it's really going to tell you what all of the options are, uh, when they make sense, when they don't make sense, um, 
deep dives into all of the technical considerations with on, online experiments. Um, uh, so I, yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of like a textbook, but it's very accessible and, and lots of practical examples from their own experience. Cool. Yeah, I have it. Uh, I think I have the Kindle version uh, on my on my phone for a couple of weeks now. <laughs> I should definitely, nice. I definitely yeah. need to make some more time to uh, to read that one. Uh, Cassandra, thank you so much for uh, sharing uh, your experience uh, with your cafe audience. Um, thank you for for sharing that, and and um, I'd love to uh, love to talk to you uh, again soon. And I think uh, we're on a panel together sometime. I think so. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, have, we'll, we'll link to that in the in the show notes. Awesome. Well, thank okay. you for having me. This was fun to to be able to dig in and chat about it. Perfect. Thank you so much. Bye bye. Bye. And this concludes season two, episode forty seven of the Zero Cafe podcast with Cassandra Campbell from Shopify. If you're interested in promoting your products or services to the best zero specialist in the world, please take a look at zero.cafe/partner to see how we can collaborate. I'll talk to you again next Monday and always be optimizing.